So belonging is a very, very important thing at Christ City. It's something that we wrestle with in a lot of different ways. It's something that we don't take glibly or we don't take with sarcasm or things like that and say, oh, well, you know, those people over there are just like this or just like that, so we don't have to worry about them. And we have yet to reach the aspirations of that vision at Christ City, but it's, it's part of our North Star. It's one half of our vision. And as we talk about belonging this morning and we look at this text together, I, I was realizing as I was thinking about this question in, in our current society and in current events that there is an underlying question that has to be answered to know wherever you are who belongs. And that question is, who's in charge? That's the question. Who, who's in charge? So when we think about that question, uh, I don't know if any of you have ever worked in retail or uh, you've worked in the restaurant industry, but that's one of the scariest questions you can get is, hey, who's in charge here, right? You're about to get Karen or something like that, right? You know, that thing. And I always feel bad for anybody named Karen when, when those words are, when, when that uh, thing's used like that. But, um, you know, I, I, I remember I used to have this little house church uh, a long time ago. It was called Wainoka Cove Church. And I can remember this, this sweet little African boy named Isaac. And now he's an adult. And he, he was there one Sunday and I had somebody else preaching uh, that Sunday. And afterwards, he asked me, Jamin, are you the pastor of Wenoka Cove Church? He just, he wanted to know who was in charge. You know, so when, when we think about a place that we are in life, whether it's school or work or uh, a group or a church or whatever, that's just a really important question to help us know, do we think we're going to belong in that space or not. So, you know, some, some of the examples uh, that come to my mind as a person of color is, is do I belong being able to jog in my neighborhood? Do, does, does a child deserve to be able to sell water, you know, on, on the corner or something like that? Um, do, do I deserve to be able to play uh, with a toy gun? right? A little squirt gun or something like that. These questions about who's in charge and who's belong are directly related to one another in our society and our culture in very important ways. Now, when we talk about belonging, we're also talking about, um, we're also talking about what doesn't belong as well. So some, sometimes people hear part of that vision a place to belong, and what they think that means is, oh, yeah, like anything goes then. But that's not the case either. Belonging is always about creating the right parameters for people to feel like they're safe, like they're welcome, like they can be nurtured and tended to. For example, if you don't have kids, unless you're invited up onto the hallway where the kids are, you don't get to be there. You shouldn't be there. In fact, Mandy is putting together a security team right now uh, going to deputize folks to help walk and, and make sure the, 
those areas are uh, always secure during our worship services. But um, a- a- another example of that is uh, I-, I juried this art show, which means like you, or I didn't jury it, I organized it, I curated this art show several years ago. And the sense of belonging was really important related to this, and I've counseled different nonprofits and people on this before in the past. And what it was is the show was juried, which meant that it was judged, that you hired a juror, and that that juror would decide if this artwork was of high enough quality to be in the show. And some people didn't get into the show. And they didn't like that because the art show was associated with uh, the church. And so for them, they thought, oh, it's a church, so therefore anything that we submit should get into the show. But again, belonging isn't about that everything everybody wants happens, and it's also not about, uh, for us at Christ City anyway, that all the rules are always uh, more important or can be more important than the people. So here, here's, what I, here's what I want to say a little bit more clearly about that, is that in this scenario, there were people, the leaders, the Pharisees, and the Sadducees, who were upset because Jesus was inviting people to belong that hadn't followed all the rules, that hadn't jumped through all the religious hoops and hurdles, that hadn't done all the things that they believed that a person should have to do before they could belong. And I think they felt on some level like that's just totally not fair. You ever feel like that where you do a lot of work to belong to something and then somebody else just gets to come in the door without doing any of the things that you did? I wonder if that's kind of how the Pharisees felt. It's like you're not qualified for this job or, man, I worked really hard to be seen this way in this family or this group, and this person was just bestowed this position. So look at the text here in verse 23. It says, Jesus entered the temple courts, and while he was teaching, the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him. By what authority are you doing these things, they asked, and who gave you this authority? So how how did you, Jesus, get to be in charge of who belongs and who doesn't? Who gave you the ability to make these decisions? See, right before this, in in the text, we get the story of Jesus coming into the temple, and there are money changers in the temple. And this practice had been going on for a long time, and it was basically to exchange currency because there was only a certain type of currency allowed in the temple uh, so that it didn't have pagan markings on the currency. Well, Jesus comes in, and he's like, you're not doing this anymore. And of course, now the people exchanging the currency were, were robbing people in the process. They were giving them way less in exchange, so the exchange rate was terrible. So he says, hey, this is a den of robbers and thieves. I'm kicking everybody out. This is, this is the temple in Jerusalem. This is the Mecca of religious authority for the entire Jewish religion, the entire Jewish people. And here comes this backwoods rabbi coming in and saying, no, we're going to do things different. Things are changing, and I'm doing this by 
my own authority. And they're like, what the heck? And then Jesus is breaking all these other barriers. He's saying, hey, in the end of this story, he says, hey, and the, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are coming into the kingdom of heaven before you, religious teachers. And he's going to the lepers. He's going to the outcasts of society uh, on both sides of the spectrum of, of what you consider the, the uh, right in our culture or the left. He's going to both of these folks and saying, come with me, you belong. You are loved and welcomed by God to live a different type of life in which you have the needs satisfied that you don't have satisfied right now. That is a naturally, actually exclusive type of belonging. Here's what I mean. Jesus, by nature of inviting people in based on their neediness, is saying your religious competencies aren't what gets you in with me. So there's all these people with great depth of spiritual need, and he's saying, come on in. Come on in, you belong. Come on in, you belong. And over here, you have these incredibly spiritually competent people who know all the right ways to do things, who know all the rules, and they're saying, man, what the heck? I've been doing this my whole life. I know all the right words. I know all the right rituals. I know all the right things to say in prayer. I know all the right verbiage around sanctification and discipleship and all these types of things. Jesus, it seems like you're just changing the rules on us. It'd be easy here to also, and I'm sure it's done many times, to pit Jesus against authority in sort of like the American way. Like, yeah, the, the rebel, the outside of the establishment person sticking it, you know, to the establishment and all, all that type of thing. And America loves that kind of story with conditions. As long as you're, you know, you're not challenging white supremacy in the process or something like that. We love those kind of stories against the establishment. But I think there's something more subtle at play when we talk about belonging, when we talk about who's in charge, the things that Jesus is doing. There's a reason why we can't just lump him up with all the other uh, uh, insurrectionists and all the other uh, religious rebels of the day. He's concerned with the needs of people and how their religious framework either serves those needs or does not. When we go back to the text, here's what we see in verse 24. We see these questions about authority, and we see Jesus turning the question back onto uh, the askers of the question, the, the leaders of uh, the law. He says in verse 24, I will also ask you one question. If you answer me, I will tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. John's baptism, where did it come from? Was it from heaven or of human origin? They discuss it amongst themselves. I wonder what that looked like, too. I wonder if they you know, they're all standing there and then they kind of huddled up, you know, they're like, hold on, Jesus, we'll be right back. Like, and uh, so they, they're discussing it amongst themselves, say, if, if we say from heaven, then he's going to ask, then why didn't you believe him? But if we say of human origin, 
then the people, like, they'll hear us, and, and they'll think we don't think that John was a prophet. And so they, you know, they break. Okay, so Jesus, we don't know. And Jesus said, well, I'm not going to answer you by what authority I'm doing these things. So this, this question of belonging that they're wrestling and grappling with, that Jesus is forcing them to wrestle and grapple with, paralyzed them in their decision-making process. This happens a lot of times in different organizations where it's like, we don't know, and we're just going to hope nobody asks more questions about this, and we're going to try to duck the decisions that have to be made, the places where we have to land on, on various things. And the, the genius of Jesus' question here is that it exposes who the religious leaders that he's talking to thought were in charge. Because if they were to answer his question and say, well, John's baptism, his ministry came from heaven, then that would displace the importance of their rituals, of their rules, of their way of doing things, because John is saying, hey, anybody who wants to, come on, be baptized into a new life, into acceptance and ownership of God, with God, into a new way of interacting in the world, of, of a place of belonging. And so if they were to say, yes, John's ministry is from heaven, then they would be admitting that, John, that God works outside of the parameters that they had set for God to work in. It doesn't mean that God can't work inside the parameters. It just means that they would be admitting that God is working also outside of those parameters, which would threaten their sense of being in charge. It feels good to be in charge, doesn't it? Sometimes. <laughs> it feels good to know you get to call the shots and those types of things, which is part of why at Christ City we have an elder-led church so that one person, like the person in my position, can't just call the shots and say what's going to happen, but we have a eldership, an elder board, like Linda was up here earlier, Mandy's on the elder board, Lonnie's on the elder board, and uh, um, Amanda Wig is an elder candidate right now. But it, feels, it feels good when you don't have that sort of checks and balances sometime where you can just let other people know what it's going to be and you feel like you're in charge. And this was being threatened uh, for these religious rulers, leaders, so they didn't answer the question. They didn't answer heaven. If they had answered that John's baptism, his ministry was of human origins, then what would have happened? Well, it would have angered the people. It would have made them go lower in the polls. It would have made them less popular, which in turn would have threatened their authority. It would have threatened who was in charge. So they said, I don't know. I don't know who's in charge. And here, here's, here's, the, here's the part. Here's where it comes home for you, because most of you aren't a religious leader or John the Baptist or anything like that. It's that their power, what they realized as they were trying to answer this question and couldn't, is that their power, their sense of control came from believing that God only worked in the ways that they had come to expect or believe that God worked. See, here's where it really becomes personal and it really hits home for us. 
if we want to and we want to expect that God is working in our lives, but we can't say, I'm wrong. I was wrong about this. I thought this was the way that God worked, but turns out God's working over there in a way I didn't expect, with a people I didn't expect, with a group I didn't expect, and circumstances I didn't expect. If we find ourselves in that place with that person where God is working in their life, but we've already written them off, we've already said they're not doing the things that I'm doing, they're not doing them in the, th- in the ways that I'm doing them, therefore God couldn't possibly working in their, be working in their lives, and therefore, I can't admit that I could potentially be wrong. When we do that, our religion becomes less useful for what the purpose of it is, right? Isn't the purpose of all of this to see God work in our lives? Absolutely. That's what it is to see the transformational power of God. It's because we have a spiritual need that we've tried to satisfy in other places with other things, and that spiritual nagging need doesn't go away, and so we're looking for the transformational power of God in our lives. But if we can't find ourselves saying, yeah, but I could be wrong about some of the ways that God works or some of the conditions in which God is working, we negate a lot of the purpose of our religion. What we see in the Gospels, what we see in the life of Jesus, and what we see in the long arch of Christian history and tradition is that God steadily widens our perception of who belongs, of how different people, regardless of what they look like, what they sound like, what their gender is, what their sexual orientation is, that they belong. That That's the arc of Christian thought. That is the place in which Jesus separates from so many other world religions, is that he's constantly prying open the gates of our perception to include, to say they belong and they belong and they belong. So here's what happens. That type of belonging naturally breeds some kinds of exclusiveness. It excludes people who are incredibly self-righteous. And I, can mean, I mean that in the religious and non-religious terms. People that always think they're right. That's, what I, that's the shorthand for self-righteous. People who are incredibly smug in their rightness and in their perceptions. They will naturally exclude themselves from this type of perspective, from this type of view of the kingdom of heaven, where so many people that see the world differently still belong. This excludes people who weigh people down with incredibly burdensome ideals about how they should live, that have the types of expectations for other people that they could never meet themselves. This is some of the most intense criticism that Jesus gives to the religious leaders And it's some that we can take for us, whether we're religious leaders or not. When we find our expectations for other people so burdensome, we can find that we have left, we have removed ourselves from the vision that Jesus presents to us. This is not uh, 
in, in this scope that I'm talking about, this is not a liberal perspective uh, problem or a conservative perspective problem. It's a problem of neediness. It's a problem of a lack of neediness in our lives for the power of God to transform things, for us to admit we are not in charge. In verse 28, Jesus doesn't get an answer from the religious leaders, and so he shares this parable with them and with the crowd who's there listening. No doubt they are thrilled to hear Jesus stumping their religious leaders of the day because they have felt weighed down by them, because they have felt even paralyzed by the requirements that they're being told they need to submit to in order for God to be present and working in their lives in order for God to accept them. So he tells this parable. He says, what do you think? There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first and said, son, go and work today in the vineyard. I will not, he answered, but later he changed his mind and went. Verse 30, then the father went to the other son and said the same thing. He answered, I will, sir, but he did not go. Which of the two did what his father wanted? The first, they answered. Jesus said to them, truly, I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. Say, you won't answer the question, but I'll get you to answer it somehow anyway. That's what he did right there. For John came to you to show you the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe him. There's a lot of things going on in this parable. We're not going to touch on all of them right now. But one thing I want to draw your attention to is the very beginning of the parable. Jesus said, a man had two what in the parable? Had two what? Oh, it's not bowling balls, penguins, no, sons. Yes, sons. And which means in the very beginning of this parable, they belong. They're already part of the family. They already are in good standing in their own family. And the father is coming to his children. We all start out this way. These babies, all these babies we have at Christ City, they start out knowing they belong. They don't say, hey, you know what, mom, if it would be too much trouble, could you get up in the night with me? Because I'm a little bit scared. But if you're tired, no problem. No, they scream out for what they need because they expect to be met with care. They expect to be fed when they're hungry. They expect to be held whenever they feel like it, or they will scream until you do. Because imprinted inside of us is the knowing that we belong. Now, what happens as we experience life, we also experience this rupture, this rupture that Scripture defines for us as sin. It's a separation that separates us from one another and from God in various ways, this rupturous thing. And so we have this sense that we belong, and yet it's interrupted as we experience caregivers not meeting our needs perfectly, as we experience the world not welcoming us into the spaces we thought we were going to be welcomed into. And so we begin to doubt that maybe we, maybe we don't belong. Maybe this isn't a benevolent world. Maybe this isn't a benevolent God and universe that I'm in. This is the story of Scripture from the beginning. 
even the very first thing we hear about this first human being, Adam, who says, hey, do I belong here? There's nobody like me here. There's that, that elephant, and, and there's, there's a zebra and the lion and stuff, but there's nobody for me. Do I belong here? And then, and then Adam and Eve saying, hey, did, do we really belong, or are, is something being held back from us in order for us to belong? Maybe we should force God's hand here. Maybe we should try to grasp for something because we don't trust our sense of belonging. Maybe it has to do with also Abel and Cain, who, who Cain brings this offering. It's this very mysterious story, but God responds to Cain and says, look, man, if you would just do what you're supposed to do, just go out and mow the grass, that's all that's being asked to you. And he's like, you know what? I'd rather kill my brother and feel like I could belong that way because then I don't have anybody to compete with. This story continues and continues as we make clicks in middle school, right? as, as we uh, try to choose a, a spouse. And then at some point in our relationship, we ask like, what am I doing married to you? Do we even belong together? Do we, are, are we even meant for each other, right? So we've got this question, this core question of belonging. And Jesus's parable starts that way. And I, I want to I want to let you know something about this church. We do believe that every person belongs. We do believe that. That every human being belongs. Not just here at Christ City, but belongs on a cosmic, deep, spiritual level. That you are a child of God. That is the preface that we start. There's so many of these parables and these stories that we, wrote, we run right past how they start, which is with a family of belonging, which is the, the center of the project of reconciliation that Christ is embarking on, not just in his death, but in his life as well. He is reconciling. He is repairing the rupture. He is showing us that, yes, Yes, that aching feeling for belonging inside of you, yes, it is real and it can be reconnected and reformed, that you do belong. So the act, when we see the act of Jesus on the cross dying, that act is an act of reconciliation between God and man, and it's already been done. It's already happened, and it means that that rupture that has separated you from God is no more. That that aching feeling, that feeling that you see from the world that you don't belong has an answer to it. And the answer is that you are brought back, you are home, and in fact, you always did belong. But, Here's the other thing that life has taught me, and that's here in this scripture. There is a limit to how you can understand your belonging without contributing to the family. And I think this, is, this was the original intention of so much religion that began to bog people down. It was to make that worthwhile spiritual con 
uh, contribution to the family that you belong to. And somewhere along the way, it it became in and of itself the point for so many folks. But here, what we see is a sense of connection, of knowing that you are a part of this family that can only come through your contribution, through your skin in the game. Think about it. You ever been on a championship team or maybe you've seen a movie where somebody's on a championship team and, uh, and you sit on the bench all year and everybody's celebrating at the end of the season. Yay, we're champions. And you're like, yeah, sort of. Like I've got the jersey on. Or, or you're, you're on a work team, right? Like, oh, you got to do this work project and everybody's doling out tasks and they're like, yeah, um, why don't you do all the stapling of the papers? Right? Like that's all you can be trusted with. Right? Or, or you're in a relationship and your partner is so self-sufficient, they don't, they don't need anything from you. And you're like, hey, do, do, do I belong here? Is there anywhere for me to contribute? You're so self-sufficient with, with everything that you do. We, we want to contribute. Part of the question of who's in charge and do I belong is also a question of, and where do I bring my contribution? How, how do I fit in to this equation? I had Benjamin mow the backyard. He's eight years old yesterday. And I've had him help me mow the yard before, um, but I always was standing out there with him. And this time I said, I'm going to stay inside with Xavier, and I'm going to let you mow the backyard. It's not a big backyard. And um, you know, he began to see the backyard very differently as, as somebody taking that level of ownership and mowing the yard. This is part of why we've moved from a, a, a traditional model of children's church to the Montessori model of godly play, because in it, the students, our children, they get to participate. They get to have tasks of learning that are involved. This is why um, when Mandy and, and, and Josh organized this back to school Sunday, we had our teenagers in, in the worship band and, and some of them are like, yeah, I'd do that again. That'd be fun. Let's do that again. Is we want to cultivate and build a place where everyone contribute. That's why we have a liturgist up here every Sunday as well, who is just a lay person, a partner in our congregation to helping lead worship in that really important way. So when we know we're not in charge, but we belong, the next question is, are we willing to take the risk to contribute? Are we, are we willing to put some of our skin in the game? Because that will be the point, that will be the point where we stop in our awareness of belonging. It's to the point that we put some skin in the game, the point that we contribute and say, I want to help make this family to be what it can be. So this is a huge part of the the heartbeat of this church, is that we want people to be able to belong. And we know that means more than sitting in a pew. We we know that means more than just hearing the type of messages that you like or uh, giving credence to a particular political ideology that you might associate with. That for us, belonging, seeing through the mist, is this cosmic sense 
that we live in a universe where God made each of us as a child of God. And for us, that has to come back to, that has to come down to what it says in John uh, chapter 1, verses 9 through 13, as it speaks of Jesus, of Jesus the Christ. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The scriptures tell us this story that you belong. And you belong because Jesus is in charge, right? Any other type of belonging that you can come up with, there are going to be a lot of conditions to that belonging. But here at Christ City, we believe you belong because who's in charge? Actually, Jesus the Christ is in charge. And so we get a chance as a son or a daughter or a child to respond to that, to bring our contribution to the family. And as we do that, we experience more and more belonging and connection. You might not have it, as the scripture says, you might not have it in your family of origin. You might not have been able to find it in the culture of Memphis You might not have been able to find it in your social media groups. You might not have been able to find it in the ache inside your own soul. But we do believe here that if Jesus is in charge, you belong. So let's pray and head to the table of fellowship and communion together. Jesus, thank you for each person in this room and outside of this room and the belonging that we can have in you and the confidence that we can have in that. I pray for everyone who comes to the table this morning that they would feel that sense of knowing and being known by you through belonging at the table. Amen.